Hey everybody, we're back on Bald Move Prestige with another movie. This time we're talking about 1994's uh, action thriller, crime drama, Leon the Professional. Uh-huh. It's written and directed by one Luke Basson. It stars Jean Reno. Uh, I checked with uh, res- a, a French person in chat before I, I went with that. Uh, okay. Previously, I thought it was Jean Renault, but I, I don't. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Uh, Gary Oldman and Natalie Portman. This is her debut performance. She was cast in this movie when she's eleven. She started it when she was twelve. Zero screen experience. It's a pretty incredible performance. Uh, keeping all that in mind. Uh, yeah. This I I'd seen this movie. In high school, because around my junior high school year, I was palling around with a, a guy that went on to to be a film student. So he's really up as that, and and he was, uh, you know, this is a uh, a a foreign action film that I had to see, and I quite liked it. I I mm-hmm. never really seen, I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, and uh, I've watched it a couple times since. I don't think I've seen this in about ten years. Uh, until just yesterday, Jim. What about you? What What's your experience with Leon, the professional? Which, of course, was Leon in France. It was the professional United States, and, yeah. the direct, and, and I guess it's now called Leon the Professional. The fuck, uh, with the naming? Why? Why? Just call it Leon the Professional. It's a perfectly good name. Uh, it's, it's a really, name. it's a Harley Quinn situation. It took him a long time to find. <laughs> yeah, the title. Yeah. Uh, so I had never seen this film. Actually, uh, this is my first time watching it, and that I had heard the reputation of this film as being uh uncomfortable with its relationship between Natalie Portman and the the main protagonist uh Gene mm-hmm. Reno <laughs> um mm-hmm. the fabulous Gene Reno Godzilla's yeah. own Gene Reno <laughs> uh whose name is obviously Leon um in this movie it, and I I came away thinking it's sort of surprised. Like, I think it's good. I don't think it's amazing. It's not like the best film of 94 or the best like assassin thriller film I've ever seen. It's good. It's very good, um, yeah. but it's not great. And the the sexual component that everybody was talking about, this relationship was far more understated than I expected, given its reputation. It's, it's basically uh-huh. like a scene or maybe two, and they're pretty short. Um where all of that misplaced affection seems to be coming from the young girl's side, which makes a fair bit of sense. Jean Reno, I should stop saying it wrong intentionally. Uh, Leon seems to not be returning it in, in the exact same way. He's returning it more as a fatherly figure or it seemed that way to me. Uh, Although I will say, I read a little bit about this film and apparently in the original script and in the original film in France, there are a few more scenes like that where maybe they're a little more overt. Because I I, I clearly when I've seen conversations about this film take place, um, it's clear to me that they're they're arguing about the two different versions of the film. Like if you're talking about the original director's cut, it's kind of like uh, I think his first cut or might even be the definitive French cut. Um, there is quite a few more scenes that are a little bit more uh, explicit and kind of because because I think this as as it is the American cut is almost an anti Lolita film like uh it's the tale of mm. a a young woman who's kind of playing house with a man who's got his own kind of problems and obliviousness to it and him just steadily 
being steadfastly just ignoring all of that and kind of uncomfortable with it, but having, you know, genuine feelings for this girl in, in the form of her, like, protector, father figure, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, now, I did read a version and, of the script where it was far more overt. They actually end up making love. Uh, right. Which, that's, Jesus Christ, can you... I so can't even I imagine, wanna, yeah. I, I want to put a pin in this because there's more, like, uh, you you, ca- you encapsulate perfectly kind of like the way I've always thought about the film as, as well. Um uh, and then I want to I want to kind of pin all that till the end, because okay. uh, like the dude says in Big Lebowski, new shit has come to light uh, since I've last thought about this. I want to kind of go over that. But oh. let's talk about the film itself. Um, yeah. You mentioned it's not amazing. And I kind of want to push back on that because um, the only, I guess, criticism I have is that, like, man, it is a little bit of a tight walk rope, uh, tight rope walk watching this film because um the possibility that it goes off the rails and goes into a full-on Lolita thing, very uncomfortable, is just all, it seems like it's always there. There's, like, three or For four sure. scenes where it's kind of looming large, and you're like, Jesus Christ, like... Plus, like, a lot of things I think they do to diffuse that sexual tension, um, which seems to be things that uh, Jean Renault kind of improvised or worked out with Luke Besson, because he's like, look, Luke, I don't know what you're going for here, but I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this kid giving me a lap dance, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, her parents are over there. They're looking really sketchy about the situation. So he decided to play Leon simple, like like uh-huh. almost with a touch of Forrest Gump, t- to give that extra touch of like innocence and like um, you know, not like like he's not a man um, with like like typical male urges. Uh, he, he doesn't understand that kind of thing. Like it's it's like very puzzling to him what's happening. Um, and I think that was a smart choice to make him very socially and like, uh, you know, emotionally stunted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes across. There's a couple things that, that where that works. But like I, I, I keep ah, I'm getting sidetracked. Why isn't this a great movie? Because other than that kind of ambiguity that makes me uncomfortable, um, it's not a huge high budget movie. But I think this movie's use of especially light and shadow is fucking incredible. Well, I'm, and... I'm comparing it to things from like I hear. Okay, Luke Besson. Um, and granted, this is his first American film, and I know he had done like the film Nikita uh, before this. B- but I think of Fifth Element. I think of Lucy. I think of things where like th- the style is so unique and so like distinctive uh, to Luke Besson that this mm. did not impress me in that regard because I've seen his later works, which blew me away. Like, Fifth Element is iconic. Do you think Fifth Element's better, a better movie than Leon the Professional, though? I, I certainly enjoy it more, yeah. Huh. I mean, okay. and, and right. stylistically, enjoy- yes, it's a hundred, it's a thousand times better than this. Uh, it has a fingerprint, it has an identity, whereas this feels like, very much to me, like many other sort of assassin thriller type things, with with maybe a little bit of a spin, um, like a quieter tone, perhaps. I'm trying to think of maybe like if if I feel differently is because I saw this earlier and like a lot of the like spy thriller stuff that came later um, is, you know, kind of like stands on this movie's shoulders. Like like La Femme yeah. Nikita and Leon the Professional are kind of revolutionary in this kind of genre in the same way that like The Matrix was. Um, so it's like, you know, um, I, I always wonder like 30 years on, like what do people think of the matrix? Right. So I, I, I don't know. Cause like I said, I think of this in terms of like 
some of the, you know, like the initial opening shot tracking down the street of New York and kind of swooping into this uh, pizza parlor. Um, the the initial kind of like Batman-esque shootout that they have with Leon in, in the, the initial kind of like establishing his badass bona fides. Mm-hmm. The way he steps out of these inky black shadows and you just see his hand emerge with a knife around the guy's throat. Like that, that shit I think is really iconic. And the way they use light continue throughout the movie, like there's this scene with uh, Leon and Matilda going over like the rules of cleaning in his apartment. And the sun is kind of like, you know, shining in and kind of making them both glow with a halo. And there's also the scene where Matilda first goes to his door for sanctuary and the way, like when the door opens and kind of light from his apartment hits her face, like it's similar to the heaven when he's walking out of the building. Uh, You're, yeah, and like all that stuff kind of ties through with a visual motif. I feel, and the way that he shot all this in France, except for the exteriors that he did in like six day in New York City to make this in New York. Like, I, I think some of that stuff is 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 really cool from a filmmaking uh, standpoint. And again, yeah, uh, these like these the performance you get out of Natalie Portman. I mean, Jean Reno is giving like a negative performance. He's just right. like like a, a blank slate. And Gary Oldman is also giving some kind of performance in this movie. But yeah. um, Natalie Portman, I just can't like believe how well she plays this particularly world weary, damaged, um, you know, like like really been beat down by life. Twelve year old. It isn't um, until the the hotel scenes um, when they're checking into the hotel when I, when she comes alive in this film for me, um, like uh, you know her being a typical kid stuff and having this trauma and and crying trying to get into his apartment. That's all good stuff. But then her you know flipping the switch at that point when they're checking into the hotel and and like becoming an entirely different person in the situation when she needs to be. That's what impressed me about her performance. Yeah. Uh, and and the whole thing in general is just really good. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Um, I also, before we get like to in the spoiler section, I, I want to talk about more things I really like about this movie. Um, 
to me because I'm I'm I feel like I'm actually much more of a child of the 90s than the 80s um, and or the, especially the 70s because that's when I was a teenager and like I was really paying attention to style and music yeah. and man the hair and suits on this show uh-huh. are so fucking 90s it's amazing like every one of these goons is just off the rack <laughs> JC Penney 1994 collection their hair is right out of whatever the the great clip style guide is at the time. It's it's just mid nineties Palooza. Um, yeah. The soundtrack, holy hell, is like when did, did Goldeneye come out before this movie or after this movie? Um, because it's nailing after. this kind it's of 95. like industrial. Okay, Leon the professional heavily emphasized or influenced the soundtrack of Goldeneye. Yeah, because the this like industrial kind of like pipes gonging and banging together that like uh, industrial pneumatic kind of uh, beat that it has driven. It's like I, it feels like the stacks music from Goldeneye. Yeah, um, you're right. I think it's 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 really incredible. I'd never heard anything uh, like that. Um, yeah, I think I think a, my 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 2020 colored glasses that I'm wearing are keeping me from seeing how great this film would have been at the time. Because um, uh, you know, when this comes out, I'm 12 years old. I'm probably not watching movies like this. Uh, right. So, yeah, I, I probably didn't have a lot of experience at the time with these. So I don't know what know what the genre was like at that point. But you're right. Like it definitely has. It, it certainly had to influence some of the GoldenEye stuff. Yeah, and you're thinking like that. This is like the this is you know you had the badass 80s where you're like Schwarzenegger and Stallone we're ruling everything and like you still had that going because i think you know this movie is kind of contemporaneous with like demolition man yeah but when you compare this action movie like there's been thinking people's action movies before like uh you know uh the the first blood you know sure that's actually a really good movie yeah but it's also boring as fuck compared to like rambo (laughs) 2 blow the fuck out of everything right sure this is a blend of like this like kind of ultra realistic style but still plenty of like heads exploding and mm-hmm. and you know you, you still gotta i think this body count's got like upper 30s people in it it's like not too far off of a schwarzenegger fit but instead of like you know jean renault coming in here no shirt just rat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat shooting from the hip you're like there is i don't i don't know whether they were they're like choreographing stuff to look good or they actually had some people starting to come in and and, and give advice on things but i just felt like the 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 gunplay um it's not super realistic because jean renault's um cleaner is kind of like a batman character Mm -hmm. i don't think he strictly obeys the rules of time and space he's able to kind of teleport places here and there yeah um but it's a it's it's definitely like a a a step in the way from rambo and commando and into jason bourne like this is kind of like that missing link, you know, hmm. between yeah. but but between the two species. Um, so you might be right on that because, like I said, when I was watching this stuff, like I'd seen over the top action violence, but I'd never seen what is this under the top, <laughs> under the table, <laughs> sure. action o- over violence. The bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but it still had a lot of like unintentional, like there's out of place comedy. Like there's scenes of the the there, there's this really funny scene of these guys. In like um, these baklavas, um, just shitting their pants in terror, having to face this 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 guy, this this uh, you know Leon, the professional, uh-huh. and the way their fa- eyes are bugging and their lips are pursed and they're like puffing. With, they, they, it looks like uh, you know uh, the, 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 what, what's that the, the Kung Pao entered a fist. The 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 the, the, the guys 
eyes and mouth on the tongue or the angry orange. It's, it's sure. it gives that kind of like look to it. And I thought that was like side splittingly hilarious. Huh. The whole sequence. Um, I mean, they, I, so, I'm trying to think that I find anything funny in this film. And, and there are moments with like Gary Oldman that the like are so the over the top <laughs> that maybe <laughs> that just, <laughs> I didn't notice it, but it, it, yeah, that sounds weird. Um, I don't know. A couple of moments with Gary Oldman and maybe like the milk thing is puzzling to me, like hilariously puzzling to me, but we can talk about that here in a minute. And I think it's got one of the more like um, it's got some really clever ideas, like uh, the way he gets out of some of these jams. I had never seen that. Like it's been since copied many times, but I'd never seen, uh, you know, some of the ways he's getting in and out of those jams. And then I thought the way the movie resolves was, um, uh, really was was really good too, but it's it's you know you said it's like a good but not great movie. To that end, like Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars, okay. which is not great by it's his standards. good but not great, yeah. And and I think he you know this this uh, movie's relationship with um, Natalie Portman and her being twelve years old probably robbed it of a full full another star because throughout his review he's just like yeah it's. I see it doing this and it's really effective and it's really pulling me in here. But like every five minutes, I'm like, Jesus Christ, she's 12 movie. Maybe. Is anyone going to sit here and say that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, I've seen two. I've probably seen. Uh, I, I want to say more movies with inappropriate depictions of underage sexuality than I have like at at that time than I had like these type of spy thrillers um, mm. or assassin uh, stealth action movies. Like I'm thinking of movies like kids, you know, the, the uncomfortable stuff that's like, sure, sure. Borderline. Nobody should watch. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. So I, I, maybe I was like, a little I more accustomed say... to that, Mr. Ebert, but, but Roger Ebert's seen a million films. He's seen this. He's, he's seen worse than this. I, yeah, it's strange to me that he picked up on that. Although I, I will say I'm, I'm happy being in the company in such good company with a two and a half star rating from Mr. Ebert. Yeah. Um, and he even like I said, he 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 got on the whole that this is very much Jodie Foster and Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. I've, I had um, seen that at the time. Yeah. Right. And I, I thought you were going to say there's almost uh, more movies depicting inappropriate sexual like dynamics amongst like young people than there are. And I'm like. Oh no, that might be true. That I like, there's seen. very few movies that try to grapple in any kind of intelligent way with like sexuality among young people. Period, which is a yeah. thing that happens, but like it's radioactive. So nobody, nobody tries to show something that's like that's like healthy, I guess, unless it's like ultra chase. Like, oh, you want to show a boy and girl's first kiss? Right. Sure, you want to, or it's like safe. Like, oh, the 17 and 18 year olds in Hunger Games are going to finally bone after four movies. Okay, yeah, that probably. And happens. then you add an adult into be, the mix, right? And then it, it there, the number is like, cut by 90. Yeah. percent Like, no right. movie goes here. Very few. Right, right. That wants to deal with the actual way these relationships go. So, I, yeah. But like I said, there's there's a lot here that I think is interesting, um, and and holds up really well. Yeah, I mean, you're selling um, me. You wanna... I, I, I think it might be better than I give it credit for, given when it was made. Uh, do you want to talk about? I kind of want to get in a deep dive and begin our analysis of the characters. Um, with the first yeah. one, uh, uh, Gene Reno's uh, amazing <laughs> Leon. Um, uh-huh. Again, I can't say enough about how well this movie establishes just what a badass this guy is. 
in like the first act of this movie, this this him taking down this hotel full of dudes. Um, and a very Batman. It's it's this is this is the first time Batman comes out to play and Batman begins. Like he's just kind of moving from shadow to shadow. You don't see him. Dudes come flying off the screen. You just hear screaming and gunfire and people being dragged off to darkness. And the way they do these the spatial work where like I said, I don't know how you light to get at this to where you've got obviously Jean Renault standing behind this guy in a closet or something. But you don't see him, and you just first see the point of that knife slide. It's like something out of Aliens, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know how Ridley Scott got those shots. He, like, fucking wet down the entire set with black ink, and had the, 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 the paint on the Aliens costume wasn't even dry, and he's filming the strobe lights. How do you, do you get this warm pre-Raphaelite scene and have this guy step out of his inky shadow one inch at a time and have the camera capture it? It's fucking incredible. Um, uh, high contrast shot. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's my, my, maybe my favorite line of the movie, even though Gary Oldman is really chewing that scenery later, is somebody's coming up. Somebody's serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it's, it's both a kind of a stupid, silly line, but it also conveys like their terror. Um, and, and I, yeah, I don't let's... know if they have heard of, of this guy. Like if Leon is, a known uh, quantity at that point uh, by the criminal underworld. And if Leon's after you, you're fucked kind of like a Batman thing. Or if he, I don't know. It's, it's his guy, his henchman tells him somebody's coming up, somebody serious. And like, yeah, it's what does it look like? Someone serious. Yeah, there is a, there is a hint that um, Gary Oldman's character, the Stansfields, uh, Stansfield rather um, has been using the, like, uh, Leon to do all of his hits, you know, like there's this this implication that he's been subcontracting out to the Leon's handler uh-huh. and he's slowly realizing, oh, this is the guy who I've used to liquidate all these other goons, which is why he takes them like so serious once he realizes who it is and um, knows exactly but, where to go. Yeah, exactly. To find um, what do we make of this guy, though? Like, you know, when I was watching this movie, I was thinking because I did, I, you know, I, I I was going in this kind of still as a fan. I hadn't done any real research, and I was thinking, you know, is this guy like just very meticulous and Spartan, or is he actually simple? There's something wrong with him. Um, either like is it's something kind of learned helplessness, or he's actually got some kind of limitation in some way. I think by the time I made it through the film, I had concluded that no, he actually is a little bit like somewhere on the Linny from of mice and men, Forrest Gump from Forrest Gump spectrum. Um, yeah, and he's being taken advantage of by many, many people uh, at the start of this film. And he's also seems emotionally repressed and it, they help. It helps also that they have made him an immigrant, right? Who doesn't necessarily speak the language very well, who uh, doesn't know how to get by in this new society. Um, it's like a baby in the box situation from this week's Fargo. Yeah, yeah. Know. He's over here kind of just winging it. Um, and he's sort of at the mercy of the people who are helping him. And, and that was a, a interesting relationship with the mob boss. Maybe we should talk about it here in a second. But yeah, I, I get the impression that maybe he's a little simple, um, though, though not overly so. I, I think he understands, you know, the emotional stuff that's going on with the kid um, and mm-hmm. also how inappropriate it would be. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's very competent at what he's doing. Uh, like he, 
he is also a meticulous assassin, right? Like he has everything just so you can tell by the box he carries and the way it's laid out mm-hmm. that he takes his stuff very seriously and he's very good at it. There's a couple things that I think point to maybe a little bit more profound disassociation, like um, the pig game he plays with Matilda when he first gets her in. Like to me, that read as a person who just has no idea how to relate to a child. Like if she was 16, he would have done that. If she was six year old, he would. It's like his mind processes. She's a child. What a child children like. Um, it's also funny that I guess he has that oven mitt just hanging out in his kitchen too yeah. like leon it tells you something about uh i don't know there's 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 a little cute touches in his apartment like he lives such a spartan lifestyle he sleeps in a corner standing up uh or not standing up sitting up but he has like you know little stitches and embroideries hanging up and he's got this uh pig glove mm-hmm. that he's able to make oins but I, I don't know i felt like that to me a lot of um the the way he kind of locks down when she tries to you know to do her little childish attempts at seducing him and whatnot is like the way he would act if a mature woman like if a you know an age appropriate woman started coming on to him he would also kind of like lock up and like I don't know I'm uncomfortable I don't understand this yeah um and I feel like that does in a way make it a little less you I I don't know it 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 it, it definitely de awkwardifies the situation for me at least uh huh. Uh-huh. So um, it doesn't seem as exploitative, I guess, uh, when you look at it that way. Right. Yeah. And I wonder where he came up with his rules, like no women, no kids, cleaner rules. Like were those given to him by his handler or did he come up with them on his own? I I mean, I have so many questions about Leon. That's one of them. Um, And some of the questions I was surprised pleasantly that the movie deals with. Um, Like when you're talking about his Spartan lifestyle, I'm like, and this is an assassin. Every assassin movie I've seen, they get they are well paid for their work. Uh, and yet he's living in this shitty apartment in New York somewhere. Uh, he doesn't have any real possessions other than this bag of guns and this house plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what is he spending his money on? Where is all this money that he should have as an assassin? The movie goes into that uh, by the end, and I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and you you get this kind of like sinking feeling like, oh, this guy's taking advantage of him. And then at the end of the film, when he, you know, essentially kicks Matilda out with nothing, you realize that like, I don't know, he's not been holding on to this money at all. Like if Leon wanted to cash out even 10% of his savings, this guy, he don't got it. He's been spending this on the the whole time. (laughs) Like he's counting on the fact that Leon is never going to you know, wisen up that he's just constrained, got him trapped in, in this, in this situation where he's utterly dependent on him for everything. He's an outlaw. He's like, all I got to do, you know, it's like, he's got to worry about old Tony, old Tony's not, the guy can't read. And I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's a situation. Like if you cared about a guy, you could teach him to read, you know, so Mm -hmm. he could go and participate in society, but that's not what you want. Right. And then he tries Um, the same trick on Matilda, which, you know she's she's too uh sharp for that you know she understands what's right. going on i think she understands which kind of embarrasses him and there's um i but there's like you know again what kind of guy this is he's like well no women no kids but there's this fucking startling scene in the middle of the movie where he's sleeping you know you, you, he's he's sitting there in his corner chair at night it's the middle of the night he just gets up and and takes a walk over to Natalie Portman and puts a gun right to her head like 
he has done some kind of moral calculus where it's like, well, I don't kill women and children, but also I have no blueprint for this. So yeah. And w- would just, it cause her more pain to live through this experience for the rest of her life or just end it right now? I think is, is what's going through his head. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just, I look at that and then the way that like Tony is able to just like turn him around in circles when he just, uh, asks him about the money mm-hmm. like you get this feeling like man leon's never going to ask about his money again because this guy just made him feel so bad without even really trying to yeah um it's it's just a really interesting character and the tension between like what we don't know and know about his character i think makes uh the tension of natalie portman's character work really well at least in the u.s edition do you uh, do you want to move on to talking about Matilda a little no, bit? No, 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 no. We have not addressed the big white elephant in the room, the milk. The fuck <laughs> is going on with the amount of milk this man drinks and then forces upon this young girl when she says, oh, I want to be a cleaner too. All right, well, first job is drink a three quarts of milk. Like, what is it? I have no idea what they're getting at with this. No Super idea. Super bones? I, I mean, I think the the... <laughs> the Batman probably has <laughs> super trying, bones. You're right. Trying to grow super bones. You need that calcium to, to break the micro fractures you're going to get in training to be a cleaner. The hell? I I think it's just an, another unfortunate like emphasis on his childlike quality. Like, you know, uh, what is, you know, what does a cool hitman do in the movies? Cool hitman, he smokes and he drinks <laughs> and he womanizes. Mm-hmm. And this hitman uh does not smoke does not swear drinks milk you know uh has this otherwise kind of wholesome you know keep to himself devotes time to his plants goes and sees uh you know uh gene kelly movies he's Mm -hmm. got this like all this childlike wonder like like even a real a real like if i sat my 13 year old down to watch singing in the rain or something he'd bitch and moan the whole time about oh my god it's old movie and why are they singing and dancing oh my god this is so stupid yeah. you know he's like this this like character that doesn't really exist um and he's he's carefully constructed to kind of steer the ship between the massive icebergs they're going through with this you know kind of like hitman lolita thing that they're they're flirting with um so i that's, okay. that's my take on the milk it's just another innocence signifier um okay it's 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 everywhere in this film which is just like that that seems too much for just like a a thing that they want to say about his character when they're saying it in other ways as well it's almost more appropriate for a westworld plot right like if he's drinking all this milk and it turns out he's a cyborg hitman you know for sure okay i mean yeah i get it and this is a real girl. He's trying to convert her to a side. Who knows? Yeah. Does Luke Besson have a thing for milk? Doesn't um, Gary Oldman's character in Fifth Element drink milk? Am I misremembering that? I don't know. He drinks a glass of water with a cherry in it, which ends up almost killing him. But that's the only time I can think of him drinking okay. in the movie. I thought maybe it was milk, but yeah, you're probably yeah. right. Yeah. Um, are we ready to talk about Matilda now, or do yeah, we, do we yeah. need to talk us some more? Uh, okay. I mean, I would, I would just sit here and say why about the milk all day, but yes, let's move on to Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Matilda is a great character, and it's interesting, and she's so effortlessly depict. Like you just take Natalie Portman, you dress her up in this particular way, you sit her on the, have her legs dangling through the staircase, smoking a cigarette, and then just listening to the screams coming out of her apartment and. 
you get a particular opinion of like what her whole deal is. And that takes like 30 seconds. And then they just keep on layering things on top. Like she's the type of girl that lives in this building where like drug deals are being openly talked about. And you see this particularly inept drug dealer and him trying to like steal a tenth of a kilo. Like they all fucking do. Like, oh, I don't know. I just held on to this stuff. I don't know what happened. It stepped. I don't know. And you then realize, oh, God, that's not just any old inept drug dealer. That's her father. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, because you have all these, like, you know, where the fuck did she get this black eye? And then he smacks her right when you're like, okay, everything kind of like, clicks into place. And it's very efficient how they introduce, like, uh, she, she the, her awful family. Like, everybody. Like, her older sister is a shit. Her mom is, like, I don't even know. Uh, putting up with this 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 terrible I mean her, inept drug dealer guy. Her older sister is a shit in the way that like the Goonies had a shitty older brother, or like a weird True. science has a shitty older brother. It's not it's not over the top. Um, no, it kind of feels but, but, like kids being shitty. But yeah, yeah, and they're they're all but they're also being molded in a very particular way. You know, they mm-hmm. they care about these particular things and. Uh, I, I just thought that was really um, effective. And they introduced her as kind of like this um, mashup of Cinderella and Anne of Green Gables, right? Because she's got this highly romanticized view of life and her role in it as a child. But she's also, you know, saddled with raising her younger brother and like, you know, shielding him from all the insanity of her family. I, I thought that mm-hmm. the way they introduced this, it took all five minutes, was, was really efficient um, and, and worked really well. Um, yeah, you know, the way she connects with, um, uh, uh, Leon, when she asked him, you know, is it always like this? Like, you know, or is it just like this when you're a kid? And he's like, no, it's, it's always like this. Like they're simpatico. Cause like you, you kind of think that, you know, 30, 20, 30 years ago, this was Leon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over in Italy or coming across the boat and he knows like, Hey, it's not going to get any easier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you're lucky, you'll have a house plant to love. But they also show how smart her character is um, because she's sent on. She goes to get sent on a, a milk run, ironically enough, mm-hmm. why her entire family is assassinated by Gary Oldman's insane DEA outfit. And she's got the presence to like she understands it like, oh, God, I'm in danger, too. I'm going to walk past and knock on this other guy's door and kind of like rely on him being on the ball and, and knowing what's happened. And I love the struggle of like, you know, Leon's like, Jesus Christ, am I actually going to do this? Yeah. And no, that's a good scene. And like, yeah. And, and like Natalie Portman has to carry this, this whole fucking thing. I, she said in the interview, I don't know if this is true, but this is what she said that like, she at 12 years old had trouble crying on command. Hmm. So Luke Passan sprayed mint oil into her eyes. <laughs> Jesus. And so then she just like nonstop producing tears. I guess it stung. It was a terrible experience. And she said throughout the rest of the filming, anytime she needed to cry, she just thought about getting sprayed in the eyes of the mint and the memory of that made her tear. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Luke Passan. Wow. You got to like, oh, you have trouble with the tears? Come here, more, sorry. It just mace you. Mace you. Oh, the tears come. Oh, the tears come easy now. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. This yeah. is some maniacal shit. This is some... uh uh, maybe Gary Old. No, it wouldn't be. It was um, <laughs> uh, who's the guy that they got dropped in the first uh, Die Hard? Oh, Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. 
in the story of that that they actually had his safety harness. And they actually dropped him before they told him he was going to to get that genuine look of terror. Like, holy fuck! Don't give these people time to to actually act. Just spray their eyes with mint oil. I, I mean, it surprises me that Hollywood, after a hundred plus years of doing this, doesn't have like a solution that they can employ. Right? Like, yeah. Like, like he's got to go down to the corner store, buy banaca, and then spray it in her eyes. Right. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you don't have a tear serum for these actors, like. Oh, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. Hit me with the teardrops. Like, yeah, just every time I put eye drops that are perfectly comfortable and safe to use in my eyes and I'm in front of the mirror, I always think like, oh, man, I'm about to perform an Academy Award winning performance because I look like I'm about on the (laughs) like that. Every director has to make this up for themselves. Sure. It's ridiculous. I have these two lemon wedges. Now open your eyes. You know, it's like, come on. I like to put it on the basil leaves and rub it in. Yeah, it's... The fuck? What are we doing, Hollywood? But this, that, that scene only works because, like, she can hit those highs and lows. Like, she's got this, yeah. like, where she's like, God, I'm going to die. Please open the door. They're going to kill me. The guy sees, like, starts seeing an interest. Like, oh, my God, maybe this is... Uh, something I need to pay attention to starts moving that direction and then when the door opens and like she's able to instantly turn that into like a flood of relief like oh my god my life is being saved yeah it's an it's an incredibly complex performance um, and like I don't know if Luke Passan is that good a director or she just was that fucking good because I just remember I mean, she is great remember- Oh no! And I remember, like, there was a there was a lot of talk when the prequels came out that, like, na- maybe Natalie Portman and Jake <sighs> Lloyd were ruining the movie. I didn't know much about Jake Lloyd, but I was like, I had I had been on the ground floor with Natalie Portman. I'd seen two, th- and I'm I'm like, look, I don't know how you can look at the professional mm-hmm. and then say Natalie Portman can't act. Did she lose acting ability in the last four or five years? Would she did she reach the height of her acting potential at the ripe age of 12? Like, or is this the performance that George Lucas wanted? Which it yeah. turns out, yeah, he he was going for something. It didn't work. No, but he was going for it. Yeah. Um. And, and it's important to, I guess, because I I don't know why, but my memory of Natalie Portman's career is very hazy. I don't know that I really even knew who she was she until Star breaks. Wars. Like after Star Wars, uh-huh. she took like six years to go to get a, a doctorate or two in college and she didn't do shit. You know, like there, I, I feel like there's there's that like she didn't yeah. want to just be a working actor. Right. She wanted to do the things she wanted to do. And the early roles guaranteed that. Well, well that's the thing. The the early roles were there, but they were probably more minor than this. Like I'm looking at some of the other movies she did between this and five years later, Star Wars Episode One, uh, Heat which she's mm-hmm. a very small part of yeah. um, Mars attacks. I, I've, I've actually never seen Mars attacks, believe it or not. I've only seen it once. And I think I know, I think she's the president's daughter, but yeah. Okay. Minor um, role, minor but it role. was two years after this. So she's still pretty young, minor role, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then star Wars, like mm-hmm. she did a couple of other, uh, in my opinion, no name movie, movies. Everyone says, I love you and beautiful girls. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, but she's not really known for those either. So Star Wars was kind of my introduction to her uh, as an actor. And yeah, it I, I was not impressed by what I saw on the screen in Star Wars. Uh, how could I be? But then I saw stuff like V for Vendetta. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, she's done a lot recently. Uh, she's, I guess, in Zoolander playing herself. I don't remember that scene, but she's in Cold Mountain, which I saw, which I liked. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just you know, her her catalog has gotten so much better. Black Swan, I saw, I guess back in 2010 when it came out. Yeah, we're doing a little pre-podcast debate about like what is her best performance, and it's like I always think of like she's good in that. She's really good in Closer. I mean, V for Vendetta um, is she's really good in V for Vendetta. She's really good in Jackie. Um, there's a lot. I haven't seen, like I said, Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds, which is her, you know, it's her team up in Noah Hawley, which everyone hated. Um, but I, I haven't seen that. But yeah, no, she's she's really good. And she's good in a lot of different ways, too. She's really good at like big iconic stuff. She's really good at like quiet, like everyday. She she's got a lot of range is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but it's like that stuff is definitely works. Like if this, you you think about like, if this was just a B average kind of child actor, a lot of this movie doesn't work. You know, like Luke Besson got really lucky that he got a person that could handle the material that he was pitching at them. And that's, you know, like you buy it when, uh, that she's got this nothing to lose attitude. Cause when Leon says, you can't clean, you can't even hold a gun. And she just grabs his gun, goes through the window and just starts randomly blasting at people, which is that's another kind of like the comedic moments of them Jeez. doing their apartment apartment exodus when she's done some massively transgressive behavior. Yeah. Um, but you're like, OK, well, this is a woman. It's like, why? What does she have to lose? She's lost her whole family. She's 12 years old. She's got this insane romantic view of the world. She's been and kicked out of school. Look, she's been. Yeah, she's got not like the, the vengeance. And like winning the approval of this person who is her guardian is like the only things that she can think about. And she's got, you know, she's utterly fearless within that, that performance envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the paintball missions. Like I remember the first time I watched that, I'm like, Oh God, he's actually going to have, he's picked out some slime ball for her to assassinate. And this is just going to happen. But no, nah, it's just the paintball stuff. Um, yeah. The forced milk drinking. That's <laughs> very, the the whole word them working that whole montage of her um it's funny because i thought it was going to lead up to her being an assassin and i remember the first time watching like maybe she will be able to take out gary oldman or she'll be able to take out a few goons and then he'll take her hostage and but all that stuff worked because i thought that this natalie portman was literally capable of anything you know good good bad or ugly um but she also does like what is um, she's also extremely immature. Like the whole I like I never got in my watching that she was wanting to have a love affair with Leon. What she wanted to do is be a grown up. She's essentially playing mm-hmm. house with this guy. She's going shopping. She's doing the chores. And part of what she sees in her worldview is part of that involves a romantic connection that she doesn't fully understand. Yeah. Um, and I like I said, I, I, I thought all that worked and made sense for this particular girl character. Um, yeah, I do too. Um, and I think it was certainly for the American market, a smart idea to pull out some of this, uh, the further scenes, uh, of the, the sexual relationship between them. The stuff that remains where she, apropos of nothing, uh, goes and tells the bell, the, the hotel worker that, you know, she's this guy's lover mm-hmm. when she does kind of like the over the top sexual stuff with Madonna and, uh, Marilyn Manson, <laughs> Marilyn but it's all Monroe. mixed up also with like Charlie Chaplin. Marilyn Manson oh, does Mar- over the top sexual stuff too, but it's different. It's real different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, also Natalie Portman's Ma- Marilyn Manson. You she's can't, great. You don't want to miss it. It's it's worth seeing the movie just for that alone. Oh, the contact. But lenses. then it goes. Yeah. Then it goes the Charlie Chapman, a uh, Chaplin, and like it's like ultra innocent. Yeah. It's 
It's it's it's a, it's, it's like she it's doesn't weird. know what she's doing, right? With the the Madonna and Marilyn, oh, Marilyn. I almost said Marilyn Manson too. Marilyn Monroe stuff. Yeah. Well, and it's also just weird because I felt like there's some kind of commonality between the gun incident and her telling the hotel manager that she's being you know sexually exploited. It was it was both like these reckless acts to either to 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 get um to to get Leon to take her seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, first as an assassin, and then I guess as a as a as a woman or a person, or like, that she was mad that she he left her alone. I think uh, when he had to do a job instead of taking her with, I I, I don't know. Um, do you want to talk? I guess the 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 third leg of this crazy performance tri- trio, uh, the negative particle to to uh, Natalie Portman's positive one is uh, Gary Oldman playing this DEA agent, I think, or maybe he's just in a, a narc, narco unit in the city. He's the uh, literal lie, lie sniffer. Yeah. He, he um, goes up and he sniffs the lies right out of you. It's an iconic performance, and I love it. Um, what I've learned is, is that a lot of it was improvised. Like the Gary Oldman, I guess that bait, that thing about, uh, oh, you're a Beethoven fan. Like, I guess he did four or five different takes, all with a different musical genius that he just improvised the dialogue for. Um, yeah. That take where he sniffs the the other guy was like a, the first take. And no one talked about that being part of the like a literal lie sniffer that he was going to get that close and start sniffing him. Um a lot of that stuff was was very improvisational, which I was was surprised me because I thought this was a very meticulously assembled film. And it turns out a lot of the stuff was yeah. found, you know, like Jean Reno is turned like, for example, he refused to rehearse the scene between him and Natalie Portman where she's dressing up for him. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, this is a fuck scene. This is like the beginning of this movie's perversion. I want this to feel as awkward as it should be. Yeah. Don't so want to like, get comfortable that- in that moment. Exactly. Like this should feel very comfortable and and uncomfortable and weird for me. And it comes and across. Like he's of, like kind of half turning away, right? Like he doesn't yeah, even like want to look at yeah, it. Yeah, I don't don't want to be grappling with this. But like, um, I I thought it's it's weird because some of the stuff like uh, Gary Oldman was just trying to go for, like uh, you know, this guy's shtick as he listens to music and he takes some weird drug before he does all this this yeah. stuff. I was gonna ask you what you think that drug is. I thought it's kind of meth, right? Doesn't but in it seem pill like that form, kinda... I can't imagine that chewing meth cap? would be would have much of any effect, uh, especially yeah. instantaneous. But um, but he he's just just over the top, and you see the seeds of like his Emmanuel Zorg mm-hmm. from uh, the Fifth Element here, because he's got this like uh, this crazy little Kermit voice he slips into when he's like, "I love Mozart," you know, and. Uh, I don't know the fact that he like empties his revolver in a guy he's annoyed with and goes to reload the revolver to like keep shooting him. The guys, the guys like you got to calm down. It's like I am calm. Uh-huh. This guy just like he, he ruined my suit. You know you don't understand. The, he steals balls from children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it's just he he and and I guess the his classic line to everyone like this is the biggest meme out of the movie. Uh, where Gary Oldman there he's 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 uh, asking for police backup and they're like what units and he's like bring me everyone. I guess he had done like twenty different takes and then that was like he just is doing like a break tension try to get Luke Besson to laugh take and that's the one that gets used. Yeah, I read um, that like he he had done the normal voice you know bring me everyone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he told he, he told the sound guy like take take your headphones off he, just just slip yeah. your headphones off I'm gonna go for something and then he I'm gonna shouted speak, it as I'm loud as spike. he could 
I'm gonna spike this VX meter just to save your <laughs> right. ears off. Uh, and uh, the they use that about one. to hit the hole. But yeah, and, and, I don't know. It's great. Think- I, it's so over the top and ridiculous uh, of a performance. Yeah. But I think it works. And but it wouldn't work if Gary Oldman was even 10 percent less serious about this role. Um, yeah, he has to commit. And it works yeah. in a way that I don't think Zorg quite does. Like Zorg feels much more of a performance like, hey, I really sure. like what you did with this guy. And that was because that's the thing is like I keep thinking like if 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 Luke Basson makes the movie he wants to make kind of coming up day one, he's run out of the business. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you, you can't you make, make a Fifth full Element. on unironic Lolita action flick. Oh, OK. And and all that stuff and you just it just 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 not it's not gonna work, man. Like several people teamed up to kind of save the movie. Uh and, and I think a, Gary Oldman is one of them. Yeah, that's the thing about this performance though. Like it is over the top, but it is just over the top enough to make you believe that this guy is unhinged, um, and that he's dangerous. It, but it, but if you put Zorg in this movie, it would be ridiculous, right? Like you each each character has its place in each of these movies and i think zorg in fifth element is incredible it's great it's perfect mm-hmm. it's exactly what gary oldman needed to be in this movie you know you couldn't swap these characters and even have i mean they would be laughed out of each of these respective movies right yeah i think although i'm trying to like is it just a dress and you know like you know like uh well you can swap their clothes and their hairstyles and i still think like the tone of those characters is perfect for the tone of each of these films. I agree. And I, like I said, like, I think this is the thing the movie needed, like this unhinged. Um, because, because like the thing is, is like the way this works for me and it doesn't like some of the things happening in like Fargo with the Gaetano character are not working for me. Um, yeah. if you're watching these things contemporaneously is because I'm at the end of this guy's story. Right. Like this guy has probably been doing this racket for a decade and he probably wasn't on the drugs to begin with. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you, 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 you're untouchable and you have this much power for so long. You start getting into the nose powder. You start getting into the I don't know, the liquid, <laughs> the liquid gel <laughs> liquid cap, meth, meth tabs, yeah. whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever you're getting into. You start murdering kids like even his own squad. People are like, Jesus Christ, you're off the rails this time, boss. Even um, he is like there's a line yeah. in there where there's like self-loathing coming through like uh, Matilda is is confronting him in the bathroom. Right. And he outfoxes right. her and he takes this pill and he's like, what miserable piece of shit have I done now? Like, mm-hmm. You get the impression that somewhere along the way, like you're talking about, he's gone too far even for himself and that these pills are almost a way to cope with that. Um, yeah. And then that and like they ter- feed back in, right? Yeah. And like internal affairs are starting to sniff around them. Like you can't you can't defend this shit. So yeah. like it's not like um, this guy is just in the middle of a successful like this is late stage. This is third act Scorsese stuff, you know, Scorsese stuff. This is yeah. this is off the rails you know, train wreck kind of thing. So like it works for me. Like this is a, this is an insane beast. that's going to take people down dot as it's going through its death throes, but he's already, you know, and I, and I thought particularly the last act of this movie, um, I thought the shootout is really, I mean, it doesn't necessarily connect because, you know, Leon literally is like, um, apparently a vampire, you know, he can levitate, he can get out of dead ends. Well, he's been he doing can, a lot of sit-ups, man. <laughs> That's true. He has been setups. doing those those full those full setups. So mm-hmm. they they did they did earn that. Um, but it looks cool and it looks stylish. And honestly, his 
the the movie zigs when you think he's going to have this like spectacular shootout and then it just goes cerebral and he does the whole thing where he fakes being one of the first wave of guys that's been cut down and they like I thought that stuff really worked. If, I remember the first yeah. time I seeing this thinking like this is the smartest fucking thing I've ever seen. And I thought like, they were going to oh, be if, dumber too. Um I thought it was going to go. I was looking for Commando when he screams and goes like, "Oh!" I'm like, "Oh, this is the thing. He's going to he's going to pull down that fucking fold up bed. It's going to uh-huh. have a panel with all these machine guns and grenade launchers." <laughs> and the movie completely shifts in another gear. And I just remember, like, I was like, I don't know, 16, 17, watching this movie, my head exploding. Like, I and it felt like, oh, because usually they shoot their way out, and it's like, it's like, okay, it's a cheesy, it's unearned. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm looking forward to the happy ending. The fucking movie ended it. And then uh, it denies you anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, um, there were a couple of ways this could have gone horribly wrong. Uh, like you said, the shootout, maybe he's like drinking milk as he's like shooting guns and he's getting <laughs> yeah, shot right. and the milk spurting like out of him. Popeye's spinach, you know, he's, <laughs> right. he's got that whole vitamin D milk pumping through his veins. You could have done that. Or or the other way that I thought it was going to go is when he puts on this gas mask and he's trying to get out, uh, like faking being one of them. I, I thought the movie was going to let that be a mystery longer, right? Like, because when they first show it to us, they don't tell us that it's him, really. They just kind of, like, have this guy being being pulled out of the thing, right? Like, his hand comes up, and they're like, oh, shit, we got a live one. Yeah, They, yeah, they bring yeah. him out. We don't see any of that. But the movie seems to let you in on that secret almost immediately. There, There isn't yes. a lot of question of who is this guy? Why do I care about there, him? There's like a five second period of I wonder what's going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then progressively it lets the other characters in on it, right? Like Gary Oldman sees him with his mask off, knows who it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it, it played that ending really smart. And then the final moment with uh, Leon with the grenade, I think, is really well done. So the first time I saw this movie... Um, you know, you're, you're I, I was thinking like, well, maybe it's going to be a Braveheart ending because I just seen that movie. And I, I think that was the first adult movie I'd seen that like just nakedly subverted the good guy wins and the bad guy. And they tacked on a little bit of like, well, but he might have inspired change in the long run. But yeah, he got his guts pulled out and burnt in front of his own fucking yeah. eyes. That was not a good that was not a good way to die. For all of his chief lieutenants <laughs> in the crowd watching the defeat. Um so when I, that was, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, oh God, this is that kind of movie. But they kind of bring a, a you know, a get a feel good ending out of it by him grenading him, uh, and then showing mm-hmm. that Matilda, instead of like going all in on the cleaning lifestyle, appears to want to go back to th- her school that she got kicked out of. Um, I don't know, like long term, yeah. I don't know how that works out. Because her dad paid for a year up front, and then what's she going to do the year after that? Um, and and I try and get money from Tony, that's right? Because he just like that's the thing. The, the at first you think, oh, well, maybe he is going to take care of her, but then he gives her a hundred dollars and says, "I don't want to hear you back in a week." And then like there's the that it keeps on getting worse and worse to where it's like, no, she's never going to be able to come back here again. Um, I, and then, mm-hmm. like, I noticed that she buries, like, uh, this potted plant, and that doesn't look like a, a, an evergreen, and it's in New York State. <laughs> Maybe you're supposed to understand uh-huh. that this is, like, a false happy ending, that this is... Because I, I guess that uh, Bassan had um, planned a sequel to this called Matilda, which is going to pick her up, that he was going to wait for Natalie or, uh, Portman to get another 10 years older and then shoot a sequel to where she is a, a diehard cleaner. So, like, that's not a happy ending for her, I don't think. 
that means she never escapes this lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, she never got the normalcy that uh, that uh, Leon is hoping to provide to her. But I don't know. Yeah, because I don't think Leon is particularly happy uh, or having a great no, life like at he, the beginning of this film, right? Yeah. So to see her go into that lifestyle He specifically is, says, is you know, you've given me a taste for life. Like, uh, Leon very much felt like a guy who was just waiting to die. Like, mm-hmm. he was just like, uh, you know, he is a houseplant. And he needed a bare, bare minimum of care that Tony provided to him and that he needed a little bit of light and shade and pH in a soil and that's it. Um, but I, I yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought the ending was pretty bittersweet uh taken taken uh on on the whole now i want to talk about the other elephant in the room so i i said all these things about how i thought about the the complicated but ultimately okay relationship that i think leon has with matilda in this film uh because you know ultimately she's doing things that i think she's they're not trying to say that matilda's a healthy child you know with a healthy psychological understanding healthy family dynamics i think she is a child trying to do what she can to survive and trying to make have things make sense and he is like a you know slow in the uptake limited adult that's not trying to take advantage of her all that kind of stuff then i find out that there's several scenes cut in the movie where there's implications that like you know that they exchange kisses and that they like shared a bed um, I in the original draft of the movie, um, Bassan uh, intended the two characters to have a sexual relationship, and then I found out that mm-hmm. Luke Bassan got married to his second wife when she was sixteen, and she was like third trimester pregnant with his child, and they dated, started dating publicly when she was fifteen, <laughs> and that in an interview he said he based Matilda and Leon's relationship on this relationship. And then in 2018, as Me Too swept oh, through boy. the French film industry, he ended up racking up nine accusations by women, three of rape, uh, six of sexual harassment, and at least one case of someone, you know, him bl- trying to blackmail a person for sexual favors. And it's kind of changed how I feel about the film, Jim. Uh you know, like I think it's huh. that original interpretation I, I, is still there, yeah. but now it's known that it's like that happened despite the the director's original will and intent. What do we what do we do? What do we do with that information? Can, can I throw some more uh, another yeah. wrinkle uh-huh. into this thing um, by saying that the age of consent in France is fifteen? Ah, uh, yes, and, the legal and this, There are sure. cultural differences they drink here over there. I hear. Um, 16-year-olds drink wine at the <laughs> they table. They do. I, and not, as an American, I'm not necessarily going to defend this and say that if it's legal, it's fine. Um, there are a lot of things that are legal that shouldn't be and illegal that shouldn't be as well. Does that does that throw any any more doubt into the air? Does this cloud the picture I mean, I did research into this, this uh, girl he married, and she seems like she's uh, had a successful professional career as an actor and a director. Um, I doubt wouldn't describe her as a damaged person. Um, but you know, uh, this is cultural high risk behavior to say the very least. And, um, very, you least. know, if you want to say there's a, there's, there's particular, I don't know. Like if you want to, I don't, I, I, I don't know what to do with this information because like, uh, um, it's, 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 it's not a world that I want where, where, you know, people, I I think that they also met on a set. And the the other thing is like, he divorced her like seven years later to 
marry Mia Jovovich, which was like 21 at the time, and he was in his 40s. Like, I don't know. There, It's like, that's huh. that's nothing. There's nothing illegal or wrong in that, that behavior. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know. Like, it, like, for, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that we. I, I, I don't know what the answer is here. Personally, to me, it feels squicky. Uh, like I don't. I don't think of a fifteen-year-old, a sixteen-year-old, as being emotionally mature enough to understand yeah. a lot of the things that they mm-hmm. might be consenting to, even if they're legally allowed to consent. Um, that's just my. And I think it also says it says something about the person or who cultural. wants to romanticize that relationship too. Like you know, maybe you can make it work out, and it doesn't necessarily is like an abusive, exploitative thing on its face. And in individual cases, maybe you can point to once in a ten thousand thing. But like, right. like, do I trust? Uh, do I trust a fifteen-year-old girl more with a horny fifteen-year-old teenage boy, or do I trust her more with like a, a emotionally mature? 30 plus year old man it it depends on the person yeah and i guess like the real question is which and i which which relationship is the healthy non-damaging thing on average for the 15 year old girl to engage in and i I would guess it's like you know fumbling around with another 15 year old not being groomed and pursued by a a wealthy 30 plus year old but yeah and then like i said like you know and you you take these you take this back into the leon movie and it's just like oh my god uh, so like yeah, it seems like a creepy guy accidentally made the just this just just this movie that walks a razor's edge of what's ex- <laughs> acceptable in society, and uh, I guess I'm glad we got yeah, the version. Yeah, we I don't know. Like I I I used to. I, I'm actually kind of surprised I haven't seen the. I I watched a couple of the deleted scenes on YouTube because I'm like, oh, and I started researching this on my my eyebrows kept on raising and going up and up and up. And I'm like, let me see a couple of these. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, it's very clear to me. It's like which version of the movie probably decides how you feel about the movie itself. But I don't know. Like I said, it's like I felt like it would be an incomplete review if we did not talk about the, uh, you know, his personal life in in conjunction yeah. to to what he's putting up on the screen here. So uh, any other thoughts? And I didn't know any about. Um, there, there are a couple of like smaller touches like there there's one moment where um she's filling out the paperwork for the hotel and she gives a name of someone she hates at school or whatever and we find out later in the movie that the name of that person is mcguffin which i thought was interesting yeah. the last name uh i i don't know if i, I don't does that serve to just move the plot forward i i can't remember exactly in the context with the way they use that, but I don't think it was literally meant to be. No, oh, this it's almost like McGuffin. I think it was just a yeah. He a could have called, called him Key Grip or something, and it would have been. I I think it's more of that yeah. kind of reference than right because you're right. There was nothing tradition. She's not a MacGuffin. Leon's not a MacGuffin. The hotel they're signing into is not a MacGuffin. They're not even. There's nothing. There's nothing. No. Like the closest thing to MacGuffin in the whole fucking film is the plant, maybe. Um, cause it's just, you know, Leon's human connection, essentially, uh, the, the, his surrogate, mm-hmm. his surrogate for relationships in the movie. Um, but even then doesn't really yeah. fit quite right. And then I, I was kind of surprised by the lack of response when a building is getting shot up. Um, th- there's one scene where, you know, th- there are at least two shootouts in two separate buildings full presumably of people 
um, both in an apartment building and then in the DEA mm-hmm. uh, government building where there's just a shootout and nobody's coming out of their apartment to see what's going on. Nobody's mm-hmm. running for the exits. Uh, there's one old lady who for comes out effect, and like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. And they shoot past her head and then that's kind of the end of it. I, and stylistically that's fine. Like you don't necessarily need to show all that. I was just surprised that they didn't do anything with the people in the buildings. Yeah. I wonder if it's a budget thing. Like they didn't have the extras for people running around and screaming or, um, they didn't want to. They didn't want to. Um, they didn't want to muddy the waters of Leon being a professional. No women, no children. You know, like uh, just people running wild, getting yeah, collateral no damage. Collateral like, damage. It, like morally, kind of black and white, and who the villains and and although the movie, it's not really because like he's like I said, it turns out I think if you connect all the dots, it turns out that like he's been killing a bunch of he's been doing you know uh, Gary Oldman's dirty work for him. So whatever you feel about Dar- Gary Oldman's role in society, you mm-hmm. should feel about Leon. Um. Yeah. Uh, the other person who we didn't really talk about is uh, Danny Aiello, who is uh, plays Tony in this movie, and he's uh, a a mid level mob boss. I can't. It's I can't tell where Tony, exactly he fits in in the Tony, criminal just, organization. Just medium Tony. Just Tony. <laughs> just Tony. Um. He he. Everybody in this kind of plays this razor's edge of a character. He plays a razor's edge of whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy, an antagonist or a protagonist, a friend to Leon. And I, I think he does that so well because there's, I mean, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with you know sitting at a red and white checkered table mm-hmm. in Little Italy, right, <laughs> and speaking with mm-hmm. that New York accent, uh, and, and looking like Tony Aiello or D- Danny Aiello does, like. He plays it just on the edge where I could believe that if Tony asked for all of or if Leon asked Tony for all of his money, there might be money there for him. I'm not sure if this guy is quite like a father figure to him or if he's a guy who's just leeching him for everything. I don't know. It might be a guy who like (laughs) it's 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 funny because like I. I come down on it after seeing it again that this is a, a bluff. Like that scene, like it, like you know, uh, you sure? Yeah, you just ask for your money. I got your money. Yeah. You know, I can do this. But hey, and then it's like then once he says that, he then likes you know Leon's like, oh no, you know, I didn't mean to. I didn't. And he comes like, oh, you know, you know, you you don't spend much money. You should get some splash around money, kid. Or some like I really think that it was it would be kind of like um a uh it's a wonderful life situation to be a run on the bank if he goes, you know, Tony. I uh, speak with a Frenchman's accent, even though I'm a young Italian man, and I, and I need, I need my money, Tony. Right. Uh, I think that Tony would just be like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't, you know, or he'd play a whole bunch of funny numbers games with like, well, you know, five thousand ahead, you kill, and he, well, he's gonna know, yeah, yeah, he's with gonna like, uh, and, and that he 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 wouldn't have it, and I think it's like now, does Tony have yeah, love yeah. for Leon? I think he does, and I think that's like. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to make an argument that the Luke Basson has authentic love for his child brides, like I think it's there for sure, but it doesn't change the nature that there's an exploitative yeah. uh, whether either party is fully aware of it, but I doesn't think it changes the math at the end of the day that like a neutral person beaming down his planet looking at the power imbalances and like, oh yeah, no, mm-mm, this is yeah. a bad deal. The movie does a really good job of spooling that out throughout the the thing because I, it is like inviting me to question that relationship 
Um, like when I first see Leon, like I mentioned, he's not living in a swanky pad or anything, right? He's living in a shithole. He's got no possessions. Um, and then we find out that this guy's keeping his money for him. And I'm like, okay, well, that explains where all of the money that he should have has gone. But what is this guy's relationship? And then he gives him a thousand dollars and send him, sends him on his way. And, and we find out, you know, that he's, he's an immigrant who, you know, has like been taken under this guy's wing and, there is sort of a father or, or at least like protector role there as well. And that Leon might be a little bit uh, s- simple in like the mm-hmm. Forrest Gump kind of way. There's, there's a lot of question marks around that, that I think the movie is actively uh, drawing for you by the end. I think with this, especially the stuff with Matilda, the movie is saying something about that relationship. That's more exploitative than it is fatherly or sure. protectorly. Um, so I think I come down with you uh, on that side of like he's being exploited yep. more than he is protected. And, you know, Leon probably need quite a bit of protection back when he was young and it's probably easy for uh, Tony to justify that those those feelings and those behaviors um, given everything that that's happens. I just like this, that that subtle performance from Danny Aiello, I think, is is needed for you to walk sure. that line through this movie. Uh, I think that'll do it for our uh, coverage of Leon the Professional. Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's cult classic action movie. It still holds up in that way. It's kind of creaky in others, and your mileage is definitely going to vary based on uh, how you feel about Luke Bassan and age, age consent of consent laws, consent in, the laws in the country and <laughs> where you stand versus ethics, morality, and intersectional legality. Um, so that is our coverage for Leon the Professional. Uh, Next week, we're going to be back with another Bald Move prestigious film as we cover uh, the 25th anniversary of Leaving Las Vegas, um, a very dark, depressing tale that stars two of my favorite people, Elizabeth Shue and Nicolas Cage. What an Oscar for that. He's done a lot. He's done. He's done a lot of work all over the place. He's had a Gary Oldman type career. Uh, You say he won an Oscar. I actually didn't know if he got nominated. He actually won for that one. Um, But yeah. Yeah, 25th anniversary. We're going to have a full accounting. If, if any of those information is wrong, we will get it corrected before the podcast. We're going to be uh, going to be talking about that next week, leaving Las Vegas, 25th anniversary. If that sounds like a good idea, sounds like a good time, we'll see you there this ne- next week. And if not, wait. We'll have another one the week after. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron. Mm-hmm. See ya. And I'm Jim. <laughs>